Hey guys, this is Matt from California. Thanks for having me as a listener spotlight person on the podcast. I appreciate it greatly. I teach elementary school full-time, but on the side, I publish books. It's been about 12 years now and about 15,000 copies of my five or so successful titles out into the world. My publishing company name is 121 Publications, and that's what my website is too. My newest book, coming out in October, uses diagrams, graphs, and charts to humorously look at idioms and cliches. For the title, I did a portmanteau, you know, like spork, with those words to have the title be Idioches Diagraphardin. My students, and pretty much anybody, love to say the word diagraphardin. It's easy to find the book and my other diagraphardin book about folktales, fairy tales, and fables by just typing diagraphardin into Google or Amazon. Uh, thank you again, and bye. Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today, we're taking you through the best bits of Pitch Anything by Oren Clough, an innovative method for presenting, persuading, and winning the deal. In 1953, James Watson and Francis Crick introduced the world to their new discovery, the double helix DNA structure, the so-called secret of life. Their presentation won them the Nobel Prize, and the most impressive thing, that pitch was five minutes long. You get to pause and consider for a moment. If they can explain the greatest innovation of all time in five minutes, why the hell do we spend 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, one hour pitching ideas to investors or thinking that's the amount of time it takes to just get any good idea across? Yeah, when, when you're setting that, that meeting for one hour in the calendar, you got to realize that if they can explain DNA in five minutes, there's something completely wrong with the way that we're doing our pitches today. So, it's worth figuring out how to pitch. If you've got to sell something as part of your job, it might be a product, a service, or an idea. And, you know, to some extent, every single person is selling stuff to people every single day. You know that the right pitch can make a project go forward, and the wrong pitch, if you cook it, it can be the thing that kills the project and doesn't get it off the ground. Although that initial pitch, that first time you tell someone an idea, is only about 1% of the time of the project itself. The pitch itself is probably the most important 1% of that entire project because as you say, that's either what makes it move forward or it gets killed. So this book in 76 words, there is a fundamental disconnect between the way we pitch anything and the way it's received by our audience. As a result, at the crucial moment when it is most important to be convincing, 9 out of 10 times, we are not. Our most important messages have a surprisingly low chance of getting through. Yeah, the Claff man, Oren Claff, he pitches deals for a living. Uh, he raises capital for businesses looking to expand or go public. He's done deals for Marriott, Hershey, Citigroup. And what he says was basically he sucked at the start, but he learned a method. It is something that is a, a skill. It's something we can learn. It's a new thing that we can develop. And he said, all we need is, is to learn a method and that method is better pitching. Yeah, you could have an incredible knowledge of your subject. You might be the best expert in the world. You might be passionate, you might have well-thought-out ideas about it, but all of this doesn't mean you're going to be convincing. It's these extra skills on top which is going to make all the difference. Things like frame control, driving emotions with intrigue pings, and getting to a hook point fairly quickly. So probably the, the biggest mistake that we make in our pitching is that we're pitching to the neocortex, the thinking, the rational part of the brain, or the system two, as you know, thinking fast and slow, the slow, methodical, rational thinking. So we're giving lots of details. We're giving all of this research and all these studies to, to back up our idea. But really, 
the croc brain, the system one, the the emotional brain, that's the one that's actually listening to the pitches. The croc brain doesn't give a shit about the spreadsheets and the projections that you've done. All it cares about, is this a good idea? Am I interested in this or is this boring and something I'm going to tune out from? Yeah, the croc brain is like a spam filter. It's just trying to get rid of absolutely everything and doesn't register a hell of a lot. So we need to be mindful of this and just avoid getting deflected and knocked away by the croc brain at all costs. The croc brain's got a couple of basic instructions. If it's not dangerous, then ignore it. If it's boring, if it's not new and exciting, then ignore it. If it is new and it's complicated, then the croc brain should summarize it super quickly and forget all the details in between. So we need to be conscious of this. We need to be conscious that the croc brain isn't sending anything to the neocortex for further thinking unless it's really unexpected, something new, something exciting, something out of the ordinary. So that's the basic thing that we need to know in our pitching is we should be framing it towards the croc brain, not to the rational thinker. So in this episode, we're going to have a good deep dive looking at frame controls and some of the different frames you might be bringing to pitches. Following that, we'll go through a three-step process that you can follow to make sure you're getting the most out of those high leverage moments when you're asking someone to give you something. Imagine you're looking at the world through a picture frame or a window frame that you're holding in your hands. As you move around, different things come into your view, but you never see the full picture because you're limited to just the things that you can see through that frame. This is your point of view. Another person, they can look at the same picture but see something totally different because they're looking through their own frame. It's a very powerful analogy, I think, because if you think about it, the person you're dealing with, if they're controlling the frame, you're basically just all the attention is going through quite a narrow spectrum of information that's really dictated by them. So if you're going to be winning pitches, you need to be able to control the frame to make sure all the attention is on the information and the parts that are important for your success. That's it. If somebody else is making you look through their frame, you're losing. What Claffman says is that whenever two frames are very different, only one survives. He says when, when frames collide, it's, it's a death match. There's no friendly competition. One frame wins, the other is destroyed. So the stronger frame always absorbs the weaker frame. So it's basically if, you're, if you've got one frame and the, the target, he says, the audience receiving your pitch has got another, you need to be stronger. You need to absorb them and say, now nah, get rid of your frame, come on over to my side. Let's look through this frame instead. Yeah, there's a frame that a lot of us run into every now and then. And that's the cop frame. you having a lot of fun in a party or something like that and you think you're not causing any trouble, cop comes in, all of a sudden their frame dominates and, mm. and uh, things aren't what they used to be. And uh, I've copped this a few times at a, back in my old day when I was a bit of an animal, I'd, I'd get out and on the dance floor, everyone would do the Adam chant, Adam, 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 Adam. <laughs> and then through that when I was had a enough drinks i'd end up just taking all the the, <laughs> the clothes off and thought i was just i was a bit of a joke of the party actually doing the mangina and all those kind of things yeah. <laughs> and it was the joke of the party and it was all fun and games until the cop frame came in and all of a sudden i go from being somewhat funny yeah to you know almost being getting something written on a ticket saying i'm i'm uh, indecent exposure and almost looks <laughs> like I'm a sex offender or something like that. So the cop frame <laughs> absolutely changed the, the meaning of that story. That's it. You've got your frame, which is the the party animal frame, and that's going pretty well. But as soon as the cop frame comes in, the cop frame's a lot stronger. All of a sudden, the fun party animal who's nude on the dance floor given a mangina loses and now mm. becomes a sex offender <laughs> because the cop frame is a lot stronger. I'll tell you another frame, like uh, after I got locked up and put into the the cell for the night 
There was another bloke oh, in no. there. There's yeah. another bloke in there. He goes, "What are you in Are for? you still nude at this point? No, no, I, had no clothes. Okay. I was fully clothed and I was sobering up, so it was quite a depressing moment. Yeah. <laughs> I asked him like, oh, we were getting along with him. Like, what are you in for? He's like, yeah, smashing, smashing f and c's up. And he goes, "What are you in for?" I'm like, "Yeah, smashing f and c's up." <laughs> Couldn't bring myself. You just gone to, to the it. tough guy frame. Yeah, for those very early on, the, uh, if this is their first episode in the podcast. I've cleaned my act up a fair bit since those days. <laughs> too good, too good. I guess maybe a more a more relatable story is you're driving down the highway. Uh, you know, you're taking in the scenery. You've got the the top down. The the wind's flowing through your hair, and maybe you've you've gone a little bit faster than necessary until that that cop pulls you over. And uh, there's a few options that you can go for. You, you've got a choice of the first few words out of your mouth is going to determine the frame that you're going with. Maybe it's, I was just going with the flow of traffic or maybe it's, I didn't see the speed sign or maybe it's, my wife is pregnant, I need to rush home or maybe it's, come on, mate, don't you have something more important to do? Um, or maybe you just go with a, a simple, you know, I'm, I'm the nice guy here. I've never done this before. It's, I've never had a ticket. It's the first time speeding. Can you let me off with a warning this time? But pretty much instantly, whatever you pick, the cop can just say, do you know why I pulled you over? And instantly, your weak, your weak frame is destroyed and you're fully in the cop's frame. Cop wins that. So there are different frames that are really applicable to us all. And the first one, perhaps the most powerful, is the power frame. And it's the most common you're going to encounter in business. It's all about your status and titles and it's fueled by the fact that everyone below this person gives that person honor and respect. They might just open with a really weak gag and then because of their power frame, everyone's just laughing <laughs> their head off at this piece of shit joke. Exactly. Basically, whenever you encounter arrogance, rudeness, lack of interest, ego, big shot, the big hot shot, this is the power frame in action. This is the big boss who thinks they dominate the room and everybody else sucks up to them and, and as you say, laughs at their shit jokes. They're obedient to them. You know, they, Maybe they make you wait in the lobby and you just happily sit there because they're the powerful person in this scenario. So if you're coming across someone who's using the power frame on you, it's important to disrupt their power. For example, the the big dog boss comes in and she says to you, hey, mate, I've only got 15 minutes, so let's make it quick. And that's mm. establishing a power frame. And you smile and you say, that's all right, I've only got 12. Mm, nice. Yeah, it's good reversal there. Pretty much if you give them the power and allow them to have full power over you, they're the alpha, you're the beta, they don't respect you at all. They're not going to buy your offer. If from that very first moment, they realize that they're the dominant one and you're the weakling, your deal's already lost. So you need to act out some kind of small denial. Make it a fun game. Don't be like blatant, like a, a dick about it, but you just need to have a bit of smile, a bit of fun and you've got to throw a little bit of something back to them. They're not going to be used to anyone taking back any power. So they're going to recognize, hang on, here's a, here's a real player that I could get along with here. So that's the power frame. We've also got the time frame. Now, anytime you come into a pitch and someone's a little bit half-hearted who you're pitching it to, a lot of the time there's something in the back of their brain like, geez, I've got to wait for 60 minutes and, and deal with this. And fair enough, you're a stranger coming in. They know that you're going to ask them for something of theirs and they don't know how long they're going to be trapped in the room with you. So you need to put them at ease and just say something from the very start along the lines of, guys, let's get started. I've only got about 20 minutes to give you this big idea, which will leave us some time to talk before I have to get out of here. 
as we said, if if those two guys can pitch DNA in five minutes, you can explain your your business in less than twenty minutes. Going long is actually a sign of weakness. If you've got a two hour presentation, it's reeks of desperation and neediness. The the worst thing I think you can do as well is if you see the attention dropping off in the room, if people are starting to tune out, then you think, Oh man, I'm losing them here. I better be quick. I gotta you know, if you start skipping slides, you start speaking a lot quicker, trying to rush through it and say, Hey, I'll, I'll be quick, I'm nearly at the end. Damn, you've just lost that time frame altogether. Another frame we can play with is the intrigue frame. And this is very relevant, I think, to like people like financial analysts or engineers like myself. And it's when you just, you know, go into a presentation and you start with these technical details and people's eyes just glaze over. Mm. Mate, I've had that actually specific thing happen <laughs> to me. It was quite awkward. I remember I had a 45-minute presentation. There was about 150 people in the room, a lot of architects. And there was a lot of technical content for, say, 80 slides. And the eyes started glazing over about um, 15 slides <laughs> in. And I'm yeah. like, fuck it. I can't even... I can't even just skip to a slide that's going to get their yeah. attention back. Yeah, I think you, I think you cooked by that point. That's sort of all those things tying together that with the the croc brain has just seen this is not new, it's not exciting, this is long and boring. There's a lot of technical details here. I'm not going to bother to send this up to the neocortex for more thinking. I'm just going to ignore it altogether. So one thing, don't just jump straight into that frame yourself and lose everybody. And another thing that might happen in your question and answer or something, someone might ask a question that's directing you down that road but no matter what make sure you don't go down that road and have some backup ways to get out of it so for me for example i could have probably had some slides somewhere to jump straight to if i saw eyes glaze over or he says you might even have some kind of intrigue story up your belt so no matter what happens you can open up with a story and not close the loop and then close the loop at the very end and it just lets everyone increase their attention man i was listening to a uh, earnings call from Elon Musk and this is exactly what happened. Someone, one of the big investors asked, hey, Elon, can you just talk about your costs and your revenues and you know, quite technical specific things on the earning call? And Elon just said straight up, nah, mate, that's, that's boring. We're not going mm. there. And he just wanted to speak the whole time about his vision of changing the world and all mm. this kind of stuff. Yeah, I think if, if you get tied into the, the numbers and the projections and the calculations, that's when the croc brain is going to switch off. If you can say, yeah, we're going to Mars, then that's a lot more, <laughs> that's a lot more intriguing, a lot more exciting to be talking about. And clearly, a lot more investors uh, <laughs> jumping Jump in from, from that approach at the moment. <laughs> Maybe they should be taking a bit more uh, analysis to it potentially. No, nah, mate. <laughs> One thing he says here is that, okay, so we've got all these different frames, but the, the ultimate is stacking different frames together. So he talks about say if you if you if you're setting up a bit of a spiel and how you can get these to all work together. He says if you stack the intrigue frame and then a bit of a prize frame, so making yourself the prize, and then the time frame, and then the moral authority frame, you can sort of stack these all together to make the ultimate pitch here. So if you introduce the target to something that they want but they can't get right now, you know, like going to Mars, that's very intriguing. That's hooking them in. Then you need to be the prize. You need to not seem like you're the needy one, desperate of them, but you, they should be the one fighting for you. The time frame, you need to say that there is some urgency, there's some scarcity, make them feel like the door is closing and they could potentially lose this deal so they should act quickly. And of course, you need to have the what he calls a moral authority frame, which is if your deal's sounding a bit too good to be true, you haven't given them too many details, you're just talking pie in the sky, you need to bring them back to earth and just say, hey, we're, we're not doing dodgy stuff here. Uh, we are the moral authority. We've done this before. We've got a solid track record. Those things tying together perfectly to make the strong frame. 
yeah, it's an interesting cocktail you can prepare in advance uh, to give to the people you're pitching to. Oren, the cloth man, I'm sure that's what his mates call him as well. He's got an example where someone else pitched him and it obviously worked. They said to him, Oren, if you come on board with us, I'm going to introduce you to our head trader, John. And just built up John to be some legend. <laughs> he's a wild man just like you and he's seen some wild deals and he's been on the wrong end a couple of times too and always finds a way. I know you two are going to get on like a house on fire. That's some good intrigue. Then they said, you know, the market is on fire right now. I've got the French, the Brits and the South Africans begging for me for this package. Oh yeah, there's the prize. And then they said, I'd love to give you until next week to decide, but the market won't let me. You have to make up your mind by Friday. I'm totally okay with a no because someone else will say yes. That's the time. And then finally, I don't need to tell you this, cloth man, but we've done $150 billion in trades without a single SEC sanction. We do things right here and play by the rules. We give you a fair price and we know that will work for everyone. Can you play by the rules too? Moral authority. That's good. I, I want to buy in. I don't know what it is, but I want to buy in. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to buy. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's sort of the frames, the, the, the main frames that you see and how you can stack a couple of frames together. He says that now that you've, you've seen these frames, you've got to be very careful to be on the lookout for what he calls beta traps. Mm. So obviously, you want to be the alpha, but many people are going to try and trap you into you becoming the beta so that they can become the alpha. One of the weak things a lot of people do are kind of like trial closes. They might ask questions, are we in the ballpark? What do you think so far? And, you know, these little moves, they're not very effective. No, it's, it definitely reeks of desperation. It's sort of like you're, you're trying to get a bit of confirmation from them that, that you're on the right track, that they're liking it. It's very, I guess, based out of fear and neediness that you're, you're worried that you could go too far or pitch too high and they might not be interested. So you try and get a bit of a, a sense from them along the way. It kind of makes sense. It makes you feel like, yeah, I should be making sure they're invested, but it's, it's weak. That definitely makes them the alpha and makes you the beta. Mate, I, I should have read, reread this section because I realized probably a couple of days ago I fell into this trap of going the trial close. I had this meeting. There, there was the offer that it was, it was at the end of the meeting. It said it was on me. I said, I need to make the offer. I'll send you the offer tomorrow. All I should have done was prepare what I had to prepare and send them the offer. But I went weak. I went the trial close. I want to get an indication from them of what's the budget, what's the ballpark, rather than just coming in with a strong offer. Mm-hmm. And you haven't got the result yet, have you? <laughs> see. We'll find out in a couple of days how that went. There's a few other beta traps you might catch yourself in. It might be you're invited to the conference room to sit there by yourself and then as you're sitting there, a whole bunch of people come to walk in to hear you pitch and they're laughing, shaking hands, clapping along and you're just sitting there like a little loser uh, compared to them. That's pretty beta. Yeah, another big beta trap is if they ask for the walk or talk or like the, hey, let's meet in a cafe for this discussion. If you're in the earshot of dozens of these noisy strangers in a cafe, that's not the spot to have a proper pitch. You're pretty much done from that point. You've got no power in that situation. Another one here is exhibiting at trade shows. And I've been doing this a few times where I've uh, been standing on a stall or something. It just reeks of weakness. You're just desperate for people yeah. to come up to you. And when they do come up to you, you come from a sign of weakness. And mate, people You're are, literally standing next to all of your competition. Mm. There's, no, there's no power whatsoever and in that And you spend about 20 grand yeah. right, to, to be there in some cases. And uh, I think another one, say if after someone does a presentation somewhere and you want to ask them and get to know them or something like that, if you go up to them right then after they present, there's about 10 other mm. little betas just circling around this person. <laughs> and I think that's one of the weakest moments to pitch or mm. ask that person to catch up as well. 
So now we want to give you the three-step process for pitching your big idea. Step zero is all the framing and stuff. So before you even start your pitch, all of these frames are working for you or against you. So before you even start, you need to make sure the frames in the right order, then you can get started with this three-step pitch. Step one is all about introducing yourself and the big idea. So introducing yourself, it's a pretty it's a pretty uh, fine balance, I think, between mm. trying to prove how good you are, but being as humble as possible. And in Australia, I think we value humility probably disproportionately compared to other countries, maybe. Uh, and you think you could rattle off your full employment history, your full CV, all the projects you knocked out of the park. But the thing is, no one really gives a shit no. about you or who you are or whatever. For them, it's all about self-interest. All you need to do is prove a simple track record of, of success. And really, that's not like where you went to school and what grades you got and what companies you've worked for. All they care is maybe probably one, maybe two really good projects you've been a part of. And also, he says that our brains judge the average of the information, not the total sum. So, if you rattle off six ideas with one home run, that's much worse than just saying the home run. So, the cloth man used to work with a young guy uh, who did this pretty well. He wrote it off pretty quick. I did my MBA, worked at McKinsey for four years. My home run there was a sales program I did for Lexus. I saved them 15 million bucks. They still use it today. And for the last six months, I've been working on this new big idea. So that's it. It's like two or three sentences. He's, uh, he's sprinkled in that he's got his MBA. He's sprinkled in McKinsey, which is a big name. He's sprinkled in this home run for Lexus, which is a big company. But all he's talked about is saying, you know, I've saved them $15 million. They're still using it today. That's one big home run he did. He didn't mention all the other little things that he did in between because all you care about is, has this person got the goods? Can they deliver on an idea? So that's introducing yourself. You also need to introduce your big idea very early. If you think about who you're pitching to, they're probably hearing hundreds of different pitches per week. Their time and attention is scarce and limited. So the default mode at the very start is to be closed off. So you need to introduce your idea in what the cloth man calls the why now frame. The why now frame is that um, vital sort of origin story of where you went and where you got to now. But again, we're not going through, you know, I started in the garage with two mates and then one guy quit and we had a fight and then his girlfriend dumped him and then actually two weeks later we made our first product but it didn't work so we had to go to China to find some, like they don't, they don't care about that sort of stuff. It's a very quick story that involves the three market forces. So you need to quickly capture the economic forces that get to this point the social forces and the technological forces. So you're briefly describing what has happened financially in the market, what is emerging in terms of people's behavior and what's happening technological-wise. So it's, it's pretty much, again, just three sentences to set them up before you drop in your big idea. So there's got an example here where at, at one stage in his career, there hadn't been a lot of money being gone towards new airports and basically that Mark was basically dead, but things were actually heating up. And the way he framed the three major forces here was, look, first, banks have started lending to aviation projects again, which is economic. And he goes, second, the Federal Aviation Authority is now issuing new building permits, which is social. And third, he said, we've got new building processes that maximize the structural integrity while keeping costs low, which is technological. 
So now you've introduced yourself, you've set up why this is the perfect time, you've got those, how those three forces are tying together to be the perfect time for you to develop your big idea. So now it's time for you to pitch your big idea. Again, this shouldn't be 15 minutes, it shouldn't be 40 minutes, it shouldn't be going through all the spreadsheets and the calculations and the projections. It needs to be a short, simple, obvious, intuitive way of getting your idea across. And again, it's like, it's like three or four sentences that the croc brain can quickly understand. So, Ash, how would you uh, pitch what you will learn here? He's given us like this three-sentence <clears throat> three sentence idea introduction pattern. And I've had a bit of a crack at it. We'll see how we go. You can, you can tell me if, uh, if you want to buy in. So, he says that this is a big idea for people who want to read more but don't have enough time. Our podcast delivers the best bits from the best books. And unlike those other lame, nerdy podcasts out there, we do it in an engaging way. We don't position ourselves as the guru because we're on the same path as a listener. We just want to learn as much as we can. You in? You will listen. I like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I suppose you already listen. I'm already, already listening. <laughs> preaching to the choir here, but yeah. So I think you did a pretty good job using the, the cloth method. And <laughs> it's always going to hit his three really basic points. You say, who is it for? Introduce the product idea. And third, you need to say why it's different to what else is already on the market. So that was step one. It's, it's Again, the, I guess the main thing here is that most people do this in long-winded, given so much detail, so much boring crap that everyone just tunes out. You need to introduce yourself. You need to set up why this is the perfect time. Then you need to drop your idea in. And this should be short, sharp, simple, easy to understand, intuitive, and intriguing. Step two is all about building tension. I think this is a great principle that goes for storytelling, doing podcasts, any kind of movies or anything like that. He's got an example to explain the point from from the 1975 classic Jaws. Have you seen it? I have. I mean, man, I feel like all these classics I haven't seen. You haven't, mate. You've got a lot to catch up on. But if you think of it, the very start of the movie, there's a lot of tension that builds up. There's this music. You don't see any shark mm. for a long time. You just see bodies fly under the water and then blood <laughs> going everywhere. Da-na. That's right. Da-na. <laughs> and it just builds attention. And then, you know, t- halfway to- toward the end of the film, that's when you finally see the huge, huge shark. But let's just think of it if it was filmed another way by Spielberg. Let's say there was a GPS tracker <laughs> on Jaws and you could see exactly where it's coming. The You knew exactly what it looks like before you saw it. And there's no tension mm, at all. No, no, no. It wouldn't be a very good film whatsoever. Exactly. So this tension part is, is crucial. It's between that introduction and the pitch is you need to build that tension. You can't just be forcing your pitch down their throats. You can't just be ramming it onto them because they'll instinctively try to resist that. What you need to do is a bit of push-pull, a bit of tension to make them want to hear your pitch. So the whole time you need to keep in mind that you want to be building tension and making them feel like they want to know more. For example, you might say something like, there's a real possibility we might not be right for each other. That just builds weird kind of odd tension, doesn't it? So that's a push away. You might pause, let it sink in. And then you pull them back in. You say, ah, but then again, if this did work out, our forces could combine into something great. Mm. When you get pushed away, you're like, what do you mean we might not be right for each other? I I definitely want to be part of this. (laughs) You definitely get sucked in. I I think that the the great example of this is the TV show Mad Men, Don Draper, have you, have you seen it? No. no. Matt, I find, this is finally one that I've, I've been binging this uh, year. 
the boss said, you got to watch it just because it's, it's all about marketing in the 1960s. Don Draper was the big ad man. He was the head of creative. He was their main pitch guy. And I think he gave the, the, the best example of a strong, hard push in one case here. They were sharing all of these ideas with the company. They were trying to win their services. They were saying how creative, how innovative their agency was. And the client was just saying, yeah, it's, it's an okay idea, but I think it's just too risky. It's too far. We just want to be a bit more safe, a bit more direct, a bit more basic. And they kept giving them different options. And then Don Draper at one point, he said, look, there's nothing else we can do here. Let's call it a day, gentlemen. Thank you for their time. He stood up, did his jacket up, extended his hand to shake hands and was about to walk out. That's a very hard push. And the client all of a sudden thought, hang on, hang on. Maybe maybe you've got some good ideas here. Maybe we should be open a little bit. Don said, you guys are, you guys are non-believers. You say you want to push the boundaries, but you don't want to try anything new. So that's like a real hard push. You can't fake it. Don Draper was genuinely willing to walk out because he didn't want to work with a person like that. Okay, so you built big tension. Now, the final step you need to do is offer the deal. And again, it needs to be short and sweet. You have to describe to the audience what they're going to receive and when they need to decide to do business with you. That's it. Again, like pretty much everything we've talked about so far, needs to be short, needs to be simple, needs to be obvious, needs to be intuitive. It needs to be something that the croc brain can understand it's something that shouldn't trigger fear in the croc brain. All it should be is an obvious here. You, This is your part of the deal. This is my part of the deal. This is what happens when it goes well. Don't drill down into too much detail. Just summarize the facts that they need to know to get their mental picture of your offering and just enough so you don't raise their emotional alarm and trigger the croc brain for them to, to switch off. So, in, in summary, basically the way everybody's pitching is wrong. If you've got a 60-slide a, a PowerPoint deck and you've got charts and graphs and spreadsheets and calculations and projections, basically you're going to put your audience to sleep. You need to be coming in as the prize, as the alpha, as the strong person, making them want to work with you and you're giving them an intriguing high-level offer that is something new, something different and the details can be discussed later once you've done that deal. This month, we are featuring some of the listeners of the What You Will Learn podcast. As you would have heard a little plug at the start of this episode, we sent out an offer in our monthly email to anyone with a, a podcast, a book, a side hustle, a side project, a side business, something that we want to feature what you guys are up to as well. Every month, we send out an email. We'll do a little recap of the month gone by. We'll each give our ratings out of 10. We'll give you a sentence or two on what we really thought of the book. Uh, and plus, from time to time, little opportunities and little offers like this to be featured on the show uh, and an update of what's going on in our worlds. If you want to be one of the people to get first access to some of these new initiatives, jump on the email list, whatyouwillearn.com slash email, and that next email will come your way at the start of the month.